in our huddle this morning, I said, today is a special day. Does anyone know why today is a special day? Crickets. Crickets. Everyone's, they don't want to say what's on their mind. And then this young, holy, beautiful young lady raised her hand and said, today is the Super Bowl. And we said, yes, that's why it's a special day. And everyone said, oh, I didn't know I was allowed to say that. So are you excited this evening to see who's going to win? Are you? Are you? This side's excited. This side's still asleep, I suppose. I promise you, you will be out of here before the game starts. (laughs) So if you were like, if you're just with us this morning, you're like, is he serious? No, he's serious. He'll be out before. Um, but you'll be out way before. So anyway, it's good to have you with us this morning. Um, thank you, worship team. Thanks for Trish. Thanks for leading us and, and our team. Um, yeah, it's good to be with you today. I'm going to jump right into our Bible engagement, uh, passage today. Uh, we are in, um, well, let me jump to the faith verse first. We are in volume three, session three. Our faith verse today comes from Psalm 37, 23. And we talked about this last week, but I just want to say this again. I think it's so important for us to be mindful of this verse. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of our lives. Last week, I spent a lot of time talking about this, so I'm not going to continue to say the same things, but just consider some of those words that jump out at you. He directs the steps of the godly, right? He directs our steps. Well, what if I'm the one making the plans? Well, if God is at the center of my life and my priorities are God's priorities, meaning I want to hear from God, listen to God, honor God with my time, my actions, my money, my service, all of that, the steps I'm going to make are going to be ordered by God because I want to honor and please God, right? The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights, I love this part, he delights in every detail of our lives. Do we, do you think we live in a world or a culture where people believe that God actually even cares about the details of our lives? Generally speaking, he's God. At any point in time, there could be billions of prayers that are going up to God at any point in time. How could he possibly care about every detail of our lives? In March, we're going to actually speak a message uh, from the Old Testament that actually reminds us that God cares about every detail. But that's a great message for us to remember today because someone who cares about the details of your life wants to be involved in your life, right? If someone cares about the details of your life, That means that they're vested. They want to be involved in your life. If they didn't care about you, why would they care about the details? So it speaks to the intentionality of a loving God who wants relationship with you and with me. As I said, we are in volume three, session three today. And the passage we're going to read from is Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses one through 17. 1 through 17. Now, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to open it up and, and read along with us. You can pull it out of the uh, seat pockets underneath the seat in front of you if you'd like a physical Bible to read along. Genesis, Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. You can read that along. I read from the same translation in the Bibles that are in front of you, but I also will have it on the slides in case uh, you'd rather read along or watch along on the slides. Now, without setting up what we're going to read about, I'm just going to read it. So chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, 
but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. 15, you shall not steal. 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. God, as we look at one of the most significant passages in the Old Testament, as we look at one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament this morning, may we not just be reminded of words that you gave Israel. May we see through your Holy Spirit today how those words were given, not just for the people of then, but for us today, and how they're designed and intended to change our lives forever. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts today. May your word breathe life into each one of us, and may we experience these commandments in a way that we've never experienced before. Amen. 17 verses. We read from the book of Exodus. It's also replicated in the book of Deuteronomy. But this morning, we are looking at what many people call the what? Ten Commandments, right? How many of you, okay, I'm not asking you if you memorize them or if you know them by heart or whatever. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments by raise of hands? Have you heard of the Ten Commandments at some point in your life? Okay, how many of you hate raising your hands when someone asks you to do that in a public setting? Like, that's good. You're like, that's why I don't want to listen to you about that. The Ten Commandments, okay, they are very well-known, very popular. Over the course of the last 15 to 20 years, they've also been very contentious in our country with what's acceptable and what's not and whether we can display them in public settings, whether they can be on courthouse walls or not. The purpose of the Ten Commandments has been very... What's the word? The word has been misunderstood of the purpose. So I want to ask you this morning to think about this question. Don't answer, but think about what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Don't answer. Just think about it in your mind while I take a drink of lovely water. Okay. Now, hopefully you have an answer in your mind that I'm not asking you to say it. I simply want you to do this with me, okay? I want you to watch my hand and I want you to watch what I'm doing with my hand, okay? See it, what I'm doing? What shape am I making? You can call it out if you know it. Good. Look at you guys doing a circle. I'm proud of you. Good. I am making a circle with my hand. Okay. Now my question to you is, is this circle moving in a clockwise or a counterclockwise direction? <laughs> if you think it's a clockwise direction, raise your hand. All you people that hate raising your hands. Oh, do it this way. By applause. If you think it's going in a clockwise direction, how about you just do a little applause to see if that's correct? Anybody? Okay. How many of you think it's going in a counterclockwise direction? Guess what? You're all right. Why are you all right? Perspective. That's right. If you're looking at it from my perspective, I'm going in a counterclockwise, right? If I'm looking at it from your perspective, I'm sorry. If I'm going at it from my perspective, I'm going clockwise. If I'm going from your perspective, I'm going counterclockwise. Have I changed the movement of my hand? No, it's the same shape. It's the same circle. It's the same everything. The only difference is perspective. This is so important this morning when we talk about the Ten Commandments because there are two ways we can look at God's commandments this morning. We can look at the Ten Commandments as rules that tell us what God commands us to do, right? How many of us have heard that perspective? They are rules that God commands us to do. Or we can look at it as a roadmap that shows us what God values. They're either rules that tell us what to do or they could be a roadmap that show us what God values. Which one is right? They're both right. Because it's all about perspective. 
Growing up, when I heard about the Ten Commandments or my friends talking about the Ten Commandments, it was given to me, or, and I'm not, this wasn't related to church, I'm just saying the way our culture was, it was seen through the eyes of an angry God. These rules are there to squelch your fun and kill your joy. And if you don't follow these rules, dropping the hammer, baby. I'm going to drop the hammer on you. And that's the way it would look at. I've got to follow the Ten Commandments. And you know, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he did it in a very stern voice. And I know because I watched the movie with Charlton Heston when I was a kid. And it was, Moses, you know, someone I'm talking about, very deep. And, uh, and I'm going like, this is scary stuff. And is there truth of the fact that God says, these are rules that I'm commanding you to obey? They're not the Ten Suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments, right? So they are pretty specific that God says do that, but they're also a roadmap that show us what God values. This morning, the message title is called Things That Matter to God. Things That Matter to God. We're still in the stepping out piece of volume three in our Bible engagement uh, project that we're walking through, but the message is called Things That Matter to God. And here's the question I want you to think about. What matters to God? What do you believe matters to God? And why? But what really matters to God? Well, God gave us the Ten Commandments for a reason. And I, I thought about how could I say that this week? And I take it and work it and rework it. Here's where I'm going to land this time on the Ten Commandments and what I think the Ten Commandments are that I think capture both pieces of this. The Ten Commandments are God's moral blueprint that teaches mankind how to live in close relationship with him and each other. The Ten Commandments are God's moral blueprint, okay? I'm going to break it out just a little bit. It is a list and a law of morality of what's acceptable and what's not. And it is a blueprint because it is the foundational building blocks that allows our life to live closer in relationship with God and close in relationship with each other. You with me? This is so important. There is a foundational understanding we need to get. Blueprints. Assume an architect. When we went through the two different developments and the two different expansions in our church over the last 12 years, we used blueprints. And they were large, and they had many different steps through them. There was a building set of blueprints that looked at the structure of the building. There was a page that looked at the electrical, a page that looked at the plumbing, a page that looked at every individual thing, the flooring, the paint codes. There were blueprints. And if you followed the blueprint according to the designer, you ended up with a building. And it worked the way it was supposed to work. Got me? It worked. That's so important for us to understand because if we understand there's a blueprint, we have to understand there's a designer. And if we understand there's a designer, we have to understand that the designer created something to be a certain way for the design. Our design would not look what it looked like today if the builder came in and said, well, I appreciate the blueprints, but you know, I just think we need a racquetball court right off here on the side. Let's just build a racquetball court. You know what would happen? I mean, one, the people that love racquetball would get excited, okay? But here's what would happen. The people handling the budget would have a cow because they'd say, that's not in our plan. And you know what would really be bad? And this is really bad. The township would not like that at all, right? Because they have a very clear plan of how it's supposed to look like. And if you build anywhere outside what the plan says, they're going to come in and tell you to do what? Take it down, build it again. This is how this works. So the Ten Commandments are a moral blueprint. This is really important for us to understand. The blueprint and the designer, they always go together. And the process of why this matters and why this is so important is because they don't just give us a list of rules. The designer, God, didn't give us a blueprint with just a list of rules. He gave us a list of values. And when we understand what God values, we have the opportunity to build deeper relationship with God. I think we understand this inherently in our lives because all of us, whether we recognize it or not, have rules and guidelines in our lives. Some of them are official rules. Some of them are unofficial rules. Some of them, just by walking into someone's house, you understand rules in a new way. If you walk into someone's house and there is um, a bunch of shoes laying on the side as you walk into that house and you see all these shoes, you learn something about those persons, that person's value, don't you? 
you understand something. And what is, what is the thing that they're trying to teach you or, or speak to you in that moment? We take your shoes off. Like we want to take the shoes off. I do it in my house on Tuesday nights because I'm a pastor and my house is holy ground. And that's why I do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't do that. I mean, we do that, but that's not why. That's not why we do it. But if you walk into someone's house and there's shoes on the side of the, of, of the floor, they're saying something to you about what they value, right? You get in someone's car and it is clean as a whistle, spotless. You know that that person values order and cleanliness, right? You know that. And then if you walk in and get into somebody else's car and it looks lived in, right? Really lived in. You know they value comfort and relaxation, right? Some of you are going, you value comfort and relaxation, right? Rules illustrate what we value. They, they exemplify what we value. Just this morning, I can look around this room and I can tell that there are some people in this room that have some values. For example, I see a lot of green this morning. People in this, woo, I don't know who said that, but all right, good. People value something that's going to happen this morning, right? This evening, they value, yeah, they value the Super Bowl, but not just the Super Bowl, they value the fact that the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, okay? So what would it speak to you, okay? What would it speak to you about if you went to someone's house and they had a rule, and the rule was that every person that came into their house had to wear a jersey. Not just any jersey, but they had to wear a Eagles jersey, right? Look, someone's applauding. I think that's a great idea, okay? And if you didn't have an Eagles jersey, maybe you just had to wear some Eagles merch, okay? So it didn't matter what you were wearing, okay? It was something that was Eagles related, okay? What would that say to you about those people? They highly value the Eagles, right? Okay, but here's the other thing that I want to that I want to share with you, and it's this: when you understand someone's value, what they value, and you align yourself to their value, you also establish the ability to have a deeper relationship with them. Am I right? When you find something that someone else values, and you're willing to meet them where they are, you give them the opportunity in that moment to show them that you're valuing them, and the relationship can grow deeper. So, I've really thought and prayed about this, okay? I'm going to do something this morning that I have never done before in the history of my life, okay? And any of you know what I'm going to do, it's this. First off, cover your eyes, because this is nothing none of your business, okay? But I'm going to do something that I can... Leslie, guard your eyes. That's all I'm going to say. She's my wife. Guard your eyes, okay? I'm going to do something this morning that I have never done in the history of my life. I'm going to wear an Eagles jersey. Not just... For anyone that's watching online and they heard that snarky comment, they said... If they lose today, it's my fault. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that. But first off, I tried this on earlier. It looks really good on me. I'm just going to say, okay. But let me tell you something. This, this is not mine. Okay. But this is. So I'm going to wear this today. Okay. If any of you, listen, if any of you have a problem with wearing hats in church, Okay, just for one Sunday, get over it. Okay, that's all I'm just going to say. One Sunday. I promise you it'll never happen again. It makes me look 10 years younger because you can't see my baldness. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, here's why. This is so interesting to listen to the applause. There was more applause of me putting this jersey on than there was worshiping the Lord this morning. Okay, why was that? I know, and I'm just, I'm being silly and facetious, but think about the significance of what I just did. A value that you know other people appreciate and they elevate, you meet them where they are, it immediately makes a connection with them, right? Am I right? This is important. Some of you are just like, I saw tears in the crowd. You know, just people like, this is amazing. You know, I'm going to get text messages later. My phone already buzzed twice. So I'm just wondering what's going on. This is why this is so important. When we view the Ten Commandments as values, 
instruction and rules that God is asking us to follow, not because he's trying to kill us of our, kill our fun, but he's trying to show us how we were created to live. When we align ourselves to his values, it allows us to live in close relationship with him and in close relationship with each other. You with me? I cannot emphasize how important that is and why we need to look at it from that way. How do we know that God wants relationship with us? Right out of the gate. The first two verses you see in Exodus 20, God says this to Moses before he gives him the commands. He said, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, in the Christian Bible, we don't we don't um, believe this is or, or count this as a commandment. But in the Jewish Bible, this is actually, it's the Ten Statements, not the Ten Commandments. And this is one of the statements that he gives, and they count this as one of the Ten. But what he's saying here is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What does he do to Israel as soon as he pulls them out of slavery and brings them into the wilderness? And within three months, they come to Mount Sinai to get these laws. The first thing he tells them is not, here's what you need to do to get in relationship with me. No, the first thing he says is, You're my people. You belong to me. And I'm your Lord. And I'm your God. And I'm the one that delivered you out of slavery. Why? So you could be free. Think about that. 400 years in slavery. 400 years under oppression. When you are enslaved, you have no identity. When you are enslaved, you do whatever your owner tells you. When you are enslaved, your value is diminished. And the first thing God says when he brings this law to them is he says, you're not a slave, you are free, and I'm getting ready to show you what it looks like to live as free men and women. By the way, you belong to me. You can call me your God because you are my people. You see that? Relationship is the foundation of what God showed. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to walk through each one of the Ten Commandments briefly. Very briefly. And I wanted to show you just a little bit and a little reason why this moral blueprint is so important for us to to understand and to live in this world today. And that it's not really just a bunch of laws that help us uh, or that tell us that our fun is, is, is squashed and that God doesn't want to let us have any fun or involvement in, in life that's exciting. God is a God of joy. He's a God of fun. He's a God of adventure. All of the feelings that we have, God has those feelings as well. And he created the world for us to enjoy. But as our architect, as our designer, he created us to live a certain way. And that way is to be in relationship with him and relationship with each other. So why do these things matter so much? And what is the value that we have to pull out of them? Here we go. First off, follow God's blueprint. If you want to experience this, follow God's blueprint, okay? I'm going to go through these um, one at a time, and I'm going to explain just briefly why it's so important that we would follow them. The first two we're going to do together in the Christian version of the Ten Commandments. Number one and number two, God says, have no other gods before me and don't make any graven images. That means don't work with idols. Don't carve images out of stone, out of wood, no graven images and no other gods. What is the value that God is placing on life when he does this and communicates this to his people? Well, the first thing is this. There is one moral standard because there is one living God. Think about that this morning. One moral standard, one living God. We can look back at the Old Testament and even the New Testament, but especially in the Old, and say there were so many different gods back then and people worshiped all different types of things. Listen, there are just as many gods today as there were then. In fact, we probably have more gods today than we have then because we're more creative. We've developed more things. Technology has increased. There's so many different things that we've put into our lives. People just don't have to worship a god out of stone or a god out of wood. They can, they can worship a god out of technology electronics, vehicles, you know, people worship their cars sometimes, their pets, you know, that you can figure out any way to worship something. We are created to worship as people. And the value that God's placing on these first two commandments is, listen, before you do anything else, you need to understand that I created you to follow one 
moral standard because there is only one living God. And the truth of the matter is, when anything else is worshipped in this world, we put moral truth in jeopardy. Am I right? Anytime when truth becomes relative, when we say your truth can be your truth, my truth can be my truth, it doesn't matter what we really believe. It's It's okay to be different. When we choose to do that, we risk putting moral truth, the God created in jeopardy, and the rest of the foundation of the rest of these commandments can fall apart. This is the foundational cornerstone or building block of the Ten Commandments. There is one God, and there is one moral truth, and his name is Yahweh, and we follow God's instruction. Could you imagine with me, just for a moment, what it would be like to live in a world that listened to and followed one moral standard? Just think about that with me for a moment. You know, people that are skeptical could look at this and they could say, oh, yeah, I mean, that's just propaganda. You're just brainwashing people. No, remember, God didn't give us the law because he was trying to squelch our fun. He gave it to us to have relationship with him and to live in relationship with each other. So imagine what it would be like to have one moral standard. Why? Because God values moral truth. Okay, here's the next commandment. Number three, no do not misuse God's name. The old translations say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, and, and for a lot of people, they think that means don't use God's name as a curse word. And that is actually not at all what it means. The original language actually says, do not carry. Okay, it says, do not carry the name of the Lord. Or as this translation says, misuse the name of the Lord. And that's synonymous with committing a sin in God's name. Don't do sinful things and put a stamp of God on it. Don't do sinful things and stamp God's blessing on it. Don't ask God to approve of things that are evil because you want them more than you want to honor God. That's what he's talking about when he says about misusing God's name. Evil that's being done in our world and to others that are damaging other people and are being done in the name of God. History shows us that that's happened over and over again in small ways and in large ways, whether it's through the old, uh, the the crusades that went through and and destroyed and murdered people, just killed people in the name of God. Even some of the religions that you see today that are doing things out of, out of, in the name of God, they do things and they're heinous, heinous things. If you want to get real, real, and you want to talk about the church today, whether it's Catholic church or Protestant church or whatever's going, how many abuses happen within the church today that do not get addressed? But we love Jesus and we love God. There's almost like a stamp of approval we put on that. And God said, what you're doing is sinful. What you're doing is hypocritical. Do not associate my name with sin. Can you imagine what it would be like in a world where anything that we did that was evil was not connected with the name of God. And when things were done that accidentally put the two together, there was repentance. There was honesty. There was humility to say, that's not Jesus, that's human nature. How many times have people been injured and wounded in the church in general because of hurt things or broken things that people have done. And there's never been a come to Jesus reality or an authenticity where there was a repentance that took place. No, it was simply, let's sweep that under the rug and move on. And now you have people associating evil things with a good God. Don't misuse the name of God. Number four, what else is God valued? Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. This goes back to the Old Testament. And he was teaching his people, Israel, how in six days God made the world and in the seventh day he rested. And the commandment that he's saying is, remember the Sabbath, keep it because it's holy. And he gave all this instruction that we read earlier about why the Sabbath is so important, why the Sabbath matters for us to do that. And here's the foundational thing I think that I take away from that. Number one, we're physical beings and we need rest. Okay, anyone that works seven days a week, 365 days a year, and continues to do that is working themselves right into a grave. Okay, we are not created to work seven days a week without rest. We absolutely are intended and we need to have rest. So there's significance to that as well. We need to be people of rest. But there's something more significant about that in the, in the way that he communicates that to Israel. Remember, they came out of Egypt. And what were they in Egypt? They were what? Slaves. 
And Egypt never gave Israel a break. When you're a slave, you work seven days a week. What God's teaching them in this new way of living is, if you want to have an intimate relationship with me and with each other, learn to take a break. Learn to smell the roses. Learn to be. Learn to be. Years ago, I went to a counselor, um, and I was talking to him about some of the things I was wrestling with, and one of the things he told me very directly, and, you know, Life would be so much easier sometimes. It's just a shameless plug. Like, if your spouse tells you things, like, listen to them. Because if you end up going to a counselor and paying all this money, they're going to tell you the same thing. Like, just listen to your spouse. Like, then, then you don't have to pay all that money for them to tell you the same thing. Okay? But, but he said to me, he goes, you don't know how to be. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't know how to be. You're always working. You're always doing things. You're always thinking about work. And at the, as a result of that, things that suffer from that are relationships physical health, emotional health. You hear where I'm going with this? This is so important. You need to learn how to be. So you know what he used to ask me to do? Stand at my sink and wash my hands. And think about washing my hands. And I remember thinking, I'm paying you to tell me this. (laughs) Think about washing your hands while you're doing it. Why are you telling me to do this ridiculous exercise? Because it's a practice for you to learn how to be. You're practicing to learn how to be in the moment. Something about the Sabbath, which is so powerful. If we do not Sabbath, if we do not rest, we don't make time for family. We don't make time for community, for relationships. We don't make time to worship God. Does our culture appreciate and respect the need for a Sabbath? No. Every day of the week, our calendar can be filled 120%. Is it our responsibility to shape our calendar or do we let the world shape our calendar? God says, the commandments I give you to remember the Sabbath are there so that you shape your calendar the way I created you to be. Make space for community. Make space for rest. Make space for relationship and worship of me. Can you imagine a world that would practice rest one day a week instead of living as slaves to their calendar. If we don't practice rest, and we may not like to hear this, but if we don't practice rest the way that we're talking about and the way God speaks to it, we're slaves. Now you may say, well, I'm not really a slave because you know I live in this country. Maybe you're a slave to your job. Maybe you're a slave to your kid's academic calendar or your kid's extracurricular calendar. Maybe you're a slave to something in this culture or community and you don't recognize it until right now the light bulb goes off and you said, I am a slave. God says to practice rest. This is a commandment that builds me in relationship and draws me closer to him and closer to other people. Number five, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. The word honor is a very significant, weighty word in the scriptures. And there's a tremendous amount of effort and intentionality, especially in the Old Testament, placed around the concept of honor. That we need to honor our parents. Because a society that honors parents honors family. And when a society honors family, it creates a strong community, and ultimately it creates a strong nation, just like God was trying to illustrate and teach his people. Don't dishonor your parents, he's saying. Honor them, your mother, your father. Create a respect and a reverence. Understand a hierarchy that exists in this world. When you do that, you build a bond that becomes unbreakable. And it builds community and it builds relationship and a nation that will be unshakable. These are really important concepts for us to understand. Beyond that, the scripture even tells us this. Listen, if you can't honor your parents who you can physically see, how can you honor a God who you don't? Think about that just for a moment. Honor is so important. Now, honor specifically doesn't mean that you close your eyes and your ears and shut off any thought to difficult situations or maybe things that you've been a part of. We know that we live in a broken world. And honor doesn't mean when you're in a place of abuse or neglect or, or difficulty in a family situation that God is saying, go and submit yourself to that person and continue to be, be abused. He's not saying that at all. But you can still honor your parents, even when they have wrongly hurt or offended you in significant ways. Does that make sense? There are still ways you can do that and demonstrate honor. 
It doesn't mean that you have a dynamic, restored relationship in situations where you've been really hurt or wounded or there's incredible trauma because of, like I said, abuse or other things. But the way you can honor your parents, Scripture shows you an attitude of honor versus an attitude of dishonor is very clear. And you know what's really interesting about this? If you break this out and you look at the world around us, people strive for positions and power and wealth. It's kind of like this thing that goes on from all of time. Governments that grow to a place where they become too big for their britches and they become what some would call like a totalitarian state, do you know what they do to create that level of influence? They break the bonds of the family unit where they take the kids and they shut the parents out of certain input and certain influence and certain direction and they say, we're going to teach your kids We are going to love your kids. We are going to. And if honor is something that is a thread that goes through the people of God, nothing will break that bond. But if we live in a world where we close our eyes and our ears and we let people say whatever they're going to do, you can see bonds continue to be broken. Let me ask you this question in the country that we live in today. As we continue to take these Ten Commandments and push them further and further away as a moral blueprint for our life, do we see more of a culture of honor or do we see a culture of dishonor? Dishonor, right? It's becoming the, neg- the way that people live right now. Dishonor is rampant in our world. God says the way that I've created you is to walk with an attitude of honor towards your parents, to respect them, to bring honor to them brings honor to God. Again, that doesn't mean that you continue relationships that are broken or that are dysfunctional, that could hurt you. But we can honor God by honoring our family and in the process, grow closer to him and grow closer to each other. Number six, do not murder. Do not murder. This is a confusing one for some people because people look at things in the Bible and they say, well, there's a lot of people that died. Or what about capital punishment? Or what about this? Or what about that? There's so many examples where people were killed all through scripture. There's two words in the Hebrew and there's two words in the English to talk about death in this regard. There's murder and there's kill. Don't kill or don't murder. The commandment does not say do not kill. That's bad translation. The real, word, the real word is do not murder. And there's a difference. Why? Because murder, by definition, in the Old Testament and the words, are is, an, is an illegal or immoral taking of a human life. An illegal or an immoral taking of a human life. We're not talking about self-defense. We're not talking about immoral movements that are bringing evil across our world that people are fighting and combating. We're talking about a mindset where people choose to take someone else's life for an illegal reason or an immoral reason. And we separate that in our mind because we understand murder and killing are different things. That's why when there's this spider that was in our house the other day and the thing was like the size of my hand, it was, it wasn't, but it was, it was, it was like the size of my palm. Like it was disgusting. I didn't say after I took care of it, (laughs) I murdered the spider. I killed the spider, but I didn't murder it, right? If I told you I murdered the spider, you'd say, that's not the the right use of the word. Like, you murdered the spider? Why did you do that? I killed the spider. I did. There's a difference in some of these things. Imagine a world, just think about this for a moment. Imagine a world where there was no murder where there was no illegal or immoral taking of a life. Could you imagine what our lives would be like if there was no murder in this world? What would our prison systems look like? Could you imagine what it would look like? What would our our cemeteries look like? What would our counseling rooms look like? How many people have gone through trauma and difficulty because of illegal or immoral taking of life? Do you understand how God uses this commandment to say, if you as people choose to live this way, to not illegally or immorally take the life of another human being, you will draw closer to me and you'll draw closer with each other. That's number six. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. There's an ongoing joke that I heard the other day again. It made me laugh that Moses came down from the Mount Sinai after 40 days and he said to the people of Israel, he said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is I got the the laws down to 10. (laughs) The bad news, adultery is still there. Wow, nobody gets that, right? You're thinking, why is that funny? Because it's human nature 
It's human nature. We are sexual people. And adultery is one of the greatest areas of weakness for people. Sexual sin is one of the greatest areas of weakness for people in this world. But God says specifically, do not commit adultery. What is he valuing when he says that? Family matters. The integrity of the family matters. Honesty, family, you cannot experience true health in a relationship. You introduce something like adultery into your relationship and it will destroy or has the possibility to destroy your family unit. Does it mean that everyone that experiences adultery ends up in divorce? No, but more often than not, that's what happens because it destroys the integrity of the family. We don't live in a culture right now that talks about the consequences of sexual promiscuity or adultery, do we? They just say it's fun. They just say it's great. They just say everything's wonderful. Some of the most famous TV shows, sitcoms, things over the years, I go back in the streaming services that we have these days, you know, when you can binge many, serv- many series, like one right after the other, if you start watching them back to back, what you see because you don't see it when it was once a week years ago. What you see when they're back to back is the same message over and over again. Sexual promiscuity is okay. You can sleep with this person. You can sleep with this person. You can, even if you guys are in agreement, you can choose to do that because swinging is okay. You can put anything you want out there as long as it's okay with you and your spouse. It's a-okay. And they don't ever show you the brokenness. They don't ever show you the divorce. They don't ever show you the kids that are crying because mom and dad are in separate directions. Some of you have experienced this directly and indirectly. And I'm not saying that to make anyone feel weighty or heavy. What I'm saying, and the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't give any of these things because he's trying to tell us if you do these things, you're not acceptable to him anymore. There is always redemption and the ability for redemption for anyone that crosses these lines. But what he's screaming at the people in a manner of speaking is that you are in jeopardy of destroying your family unit. You are in jeopardy of watching your kids grow up without a father or without a mother. And in situations where they're not even married, their kids that grow up and they didn't even know who their parents are. Do we see this continue to happen across our country? Do we see this continue to perpetuate and the cycle gets worse and worse? Why is that? Because we have not esteemed moral truth and sexual morality as something that God has commanded us to live by. What would it be like in our families if we made decisions where our marriage vows were kept and our family stayed intact? Could you imagine what that would do? Number eight, do not steal. Do not steal, he says. This is talking about material things and also immaterial. When I was a kid, it was always about things that I would steal or I would take physical, tangible things. And that is truth in that, that we're not supposed to take anything that belongs to another person, but the theft of things can also mean physical. It could also mean the theft of life or immaterial things. Do you know you can steal someone's innocence? You can steal someone's reputation by slandering them. You can steal a lot of things that are not tangible, but you can still get away with it. You can steal people's knowledge. You know, think about like cybersecurity in the world that we live in right now. Are people not trying every day of the week to steal your knowledge? I mean, every day of the week, my phone rang this past week probably 30 times in two days from people, and I didn't even answer it anymore. But there are really smart people that are out there, and they're trying to steal your information, your knowledge. Why? So they can physically steal your other stuff. Could you imagine what it would be like to to live in a world where there was no theft at all? Could you imagine no theft? Would we need locks? Would we need so many of the things that our, com- our country puts, the billions of dollars we put towards security in this world? Could you imagine what that would look like? See, God has a plan and he shows us how to live. Imagine a world where there is no theft. How about number nine? Do not lie, which also means don't bear false witness. And the basic thing on this is that you should be about truth, like I said earlier, but truth, especially when testifying on behalf of somebody else, that you don't say something or speak something out that is actually intentionally spoken to hurt someone else when it's not true. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. If there's no justice in this world, how can we possibly have a moral civilization? How many times have you ever wondered when you see these trials that happen and people put their hand on a Bible or they raise their hand, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. What do they say? So help me 
God. And then they just go and lie. And you can tell, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. Everybody in the whole world knows you did it. You know, well, the glove didn't fit. Everybody knew you did it, dude. You know, it's like, come on. Well, the jury didn't say because it became a game. It became a game. It wasn't about justice. It was about who could trump who, who was smarter to get out of different things. Could you imagine a world where what we said we were going to do, we actually did. And when we spoke something, our word was our bond because it was also as if we were standing before God with accountability. That's an amazing thing for us to think about. And the last one that's on the list this morning is number 10, do not covet. And I think this is a really powerful one, and here's why. Because of all of the ones that are on the list here this morning, this is the only one that prioritizes our thought and not our behavior. Coveting prioritizes what we believe in our minds before we get to it with our hands. And if you think about that, just consider what I'm talking about here. Before you commit adultery, you think about committing adultery. Before you steal, you think about stealing. Before you dishonor your family, there's a thought process that justifies why you choose to dishonor your mother or your father. Right? This is how this works. All of these other ones combined, they're all behaviors, but coveting begins in our mind. And what coveting doesn't mean, that is a sweet car, and I really want to earn, I want a car like that. That is really cool. Coveting doesn't mean you see something that interests you and you want to get something like that one day. That's not coveting. Coveting is you see something and you don't just want it, but you find a way or you strategize a way to take that thing from someone else so that you can have it. You know who coveted in Scripture? David coveted. It wasn't a sin when he went on the the rooftop and he saw naked Bathsheba doing her thing on the top of the roof. And he was like, dang, that wasn't a sin. That wasn't a sin in that moment. Where it became a sin is where he said, how can I get with you? Bring her to my castle. Bring her to my palace. Clean her up. Let her meet with me. I'm going to sleep with her. Her husband's at war. Oh no, she's pregnant. I need to keep this woman for my own. Bring him back from war. Let him sleep with his wife so that he thinks she, that he got her pregnant. But he wouldn't sleep in his home with his wife. He stayed at the gates or at the, 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 the walls of, the, of, the, the, temp, or of the, uh, the king's palace because he wouldn't dishonor his king. So David said, put him at the front of the line. Put him at the front of the line. And then when all the bad stuff happens, then he'll die. And now I can have Bathsheba. That was coveting. And it wasn't his behavior is where the sin started. The sin started in his thought life. You hear me? Big difference in that. And it manifested in adultery. It manifested in murder. It manifested in lying. It manifested in stealing someone's family and ultimately stealing someone's what? Life. That's the true coveting. Could you imagine a world where we actually would meditate on the things we have and we would be content with the things that we had? And if we'd wanted something else, we wouldn't want it at someone else's expense, but we would just do what, what we want to do or we pursue the things we want to pursue with God's blessing to that, but we wouldn't dishonor somebody else by wishing them ill because we want something better. That's how you know you're in the coveting world. If you feel good about someone else's downfall or downcast because maybe it benefits you, you're a coveter. Wow, that person lost that. Oh, that's, maybe I, that's an opportunity for me, man. That's an opportunity for me. You're coveting, and that's sinful. And those are the commandments, and they speak of the things that God values. We get ready to close this morning. The worship team is going to come up, and I just want to ask you to consider this with me. The more we choose to follow God's blueprint in following his commandments the more we will experience two things. Number one, we will realize how incapable we are of doing this ourselves. These commandments seem overwhelming, don't they really? I mean, Jesus in the New Testament condensed them to two different commandments, and you can see them as they're split. Honor God, love God, and love people. And that's really how it's split when you look at the way that they're actually divided up. 
But the more we try to follow God's commands, his moral blueprint that he created for you and I to live, the two things that we, we experience, number one, how incapable we are of doing this ourselves. It is not possible for us to do it ourselves. We really need Jesus. That's why Jesus told his followers and his people, he said, listen, if you so much as hate your brother in your heart, it's as if you what? Murdered him. If you so much as look at a woman lustfully in your mind, it's as if you committed adultery. And the people said, well, if that's the standard then, Jesus, teacher, if that's the standard, none of us can be qualified. And that was the whole point why Jesus had to come. Because the standards aren't given for us to follow so that we can check every box and do the best we can in our own strength. It's a revelation that we can't do this on our own. We need the power of Christ in our lives. Because with Christ in our lives, we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we believe. And with the power of the Spirit in our lives, Paul says it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is the Spirit that lives in us. We can be who God has called us to be. It doesn't mean that we won't falter and fail at times, but because of his sinless sacrifice on the cross, when we fail, when we falter, we can trust in his perfect perfection to make us clean before God. As the scripture says, it's the great exchange where we exchange our sin for his righteousness. And he takes on our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees his son bearing the offenses on our behalf. So the two things that happen, we realize how incapable we are of doing it ourselves. And the second thing, as we continue to walk closer to God and closer to each other, the more we see the power of Jesus working through us to make us more like him. We recognize our need for Jesus, and the more that we do it, we see his power working through us. That is the purpose of why we are here and why God has continued to walk this journey with us, church. Paul said in Romans 8, 28 through 29, he said this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And look what he says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Bottom line, what is he saying? Jesus came to die for you and die for me, to take on our sin so that when we trust in him, the father begins to make us more like Christ. And that's the whole purpose, changing us to look less of ourselves and to look more like Jesus. Would you please take a few moments and stand with me this morning? The worship team's going to close with this song that we sang during our worship time. And I just ask if you could just take a few moments today and just reflect on the whole idea and the message of being more like Jesus and how God is drawing you closer to himself. And he does that through the sacrifice of his son and the forgiveness that he offers you and I through his sacrifice on the cross.